Amen. You know, we talk a lot about the blessing, and if you're new here, uh, that's not going to change. Um, <laughs> but if you, we welcome you if this is your first time or you've been come, you're back for the first time in a little bit. Um, but I tell you, we talk about the blessing uh, not because we need a topic to talk about, not because we're looking to hype you up. Uh, we talk about the blessing because how many of you know it's a big world that needs to be changed? Uh, and uh, I kind of have gotten to this point where I'm realizing that I want to be, maybe not the only one, but I want to be one of the ones who God is able to use in order to change the world that's around me. And so we talk about, you know, blessing and finances and, you know, yes, absolutely, God will bless us and we will get the overflow. We will be taken care of. We will all those things. But I tell you, we, we don't preach about the blessing because we're a bunch of greedy people. We preach about the blessing because we realize that it takes money. Like somebody has to pay, somebody has to pay the bills in order for us to rent stadiums. And somebody has to pay the bills in order to uh, make movies and to publish music. And people have to pay for those things. And so when we talk about the blessing, yes, we're talking about finances. But really, when we talk about the blessing, we're talking about that God would be able to use us, our means, in order to transform the world that's around us. And we talk about it because I, I'm the, the older that I get... I'm becoming more convinced. I think that sometimes people, the older they get, they can become less convinced, you know? That the older you can get, you can become less, more skeptical, you know? I become less of a believer. But I tell you something, it doesn't take too many of these testimony videos. It doesn't take too many of these teachings for me to sit back and realize that if God could do it for Joe, if God could do it for Emma, if he could do it for Rachel, if he could do it for Tori, God can do it for me, that he could do it in my situation in this city. If God can do it in Bethlehem, God can do it in Fort Erie. And that's the reason why we preach about the blessing, why we harp on it, and why we talk about miracles, and why we preach about Mark 4, and why we go after the, the blessings and the, the rights of a new covenant believer, because we believe that God can use us. Yeah, I want God to use Hillsong, and I want God to use Bethel, and I want God to do, I want God, but I don't, I don't want it to stop there. I want it when people talk about what God is doing in the world. I want people to talk about Light City. Maybe you do too, <laughs> maybe. I don't want people to just talk about Bill Johnson or Brian Houston. I want people to talk about Alex McDonald. <sighs> but I tell you something, what separates me from there. What separates us from our, our, our influence, our place of blessing, is not that God chooses special people. I mean, the scripture is full of God choosing like the less than the less. The, I mean, we talk about Gideon, you know, the angel comes to him and says, oh, you mighty man of valor, when he's what, hiding, he's hiding behind a wine press because he's afraid. Yeah. I mean, he was nothing but mighty. You may be nothing but smart enough to start a business, but I tell you something, our disqualification is the breeding ground for God's miracles. Our insufficiency is the place where God can do his greatest works because I tell you, God is not looking to use our strength. I got news for you. In fact, this is what the apostle Paul said. He said, I glory in my weakness. I tell you, that doesn't really go over so well in the 21st century because we glory in our strength, don't we? Like, I mean, Instagram is full of smart people and pretty people and rich people, right? We're taught to glory in my strength. Like nobody puts a, a selfie on when they look their worst right? Like we have the pretty filter, even when you're, when you're at your best, you're still not like the best of the best, right? Why? Because the world glories in its strength. But Paul understood something. I glory in my weakness because it's like my weakness is a magnet for God's strength. 
you know, I've realized something in really the short time I've been alive is that in myself, I can do very little. Even me at my best isn't even close enough to accomplish even a fraction of what God would have me to accomplish. But man, I am so thankful that God doesn't prick, pick. He does frick us. He doesn't just pick strong people. He doesn't just pick the best or the prettiest or the smartest. He doesn't pick us because we came from a great family. He doesn't pick us because even we're above average in any way. God picks us, not even he picks us, God picked past tense. When Jesus died on the cross, he picked you. He chose you, he plucked you up. The Bible says he, before we were just a thought, when we were being knit together in our mother's womb, God knew our end from our beginning. He mapped out the very steps that we would take, the very moments of our life. And I tell you, those moments are good. And so that's how we talk about the blessing. We talk about the blessing because you have a big destiny. You have a life that's worth living. There's history in you to be made. There are lives to be changed and people to be touched and businesses to be started and movies to be made and things to be done on the inside of you that require the blessing of God. And I tell you something, everybody, right? Because I could hear your thoughts because I think them. Everybody sits here and says, movies to be made? I mean, this is Fort Erie. This isn't Hollywood. Businesses to begin? I could barely keep a job. But you see, this is what we're going to talk about this morning is understanding how to create an atmosphere for a miracle. How do I create, how do I cultivate the, the garden of miracles? Because how many of you know, we understand that the seed that we get is perfect. The seed of the word of God we know is infallible. It's perfect. There's enough power in one phrase, one sentence, one verse of the scripture to transform every possible area of your life. There is no situation that you're facing today, tomorrow, or for the rest of your life that cannot be solved by one scripture in the Bible. So I understand that the word is not the problem. I'm going to look over here. We're going to go here, so I'm going to preach to the wall a little bit today. If the word isn't the problem, then maybe it's the soil. Hold your tomatoes, folks. Hold your tomatoes. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning is I want to understand. I want to understand not just how to hear about a miracle. Because I tell you, we've heard about a lot of miracles. Haven't you? You've got a lot of prophetic words. You had a lot of people speak over you and pray over you and promise over you and tell you things and say things and you've been meditating on, I don't wanna just know about the miracles, right? I wanna live. I, wanna, I want the miraculous to be my home. I want my life, I want miracles to be common in my life. I want to be the poster child for the impossible. I want people to look at me and say, I want to be like that guy. I want to have what that guy has. I want to do what that guy does. I mean, that's how Jesus was, wasn't it? The Bible says that people, Jesus had the best evangelism plan. He was awesome and people came to him. That's my kind of evangelism. Why? Because they saw something in Jesus. There was something different. There was living in a world of oppression and anxiety and fear and control. There was this man who stepped on the scenes who appeared to live without limits. 
He lived without restrictions. He lived without boundaries. He lived as though there was nothing that could hold him back. And that was attractive. But I tell you, that, that is the blessing. That is the blessing. The blessing manifests like favor and finances. It manifests like healing and manifested miracles and hands laid on the sick and seeing them recover it. It manifests like that. And so that's what we're going to take a little bit of time to talk about this morning because um, I believe that we are, we are ready. We are, uh, our condition is ripe for a miracle. And I think that for some of us, it's, you know, we just need to add a little bit of fertilizer to our soil and we're going to watch God manifest our wildest dreams. Right? I mean, God is not, he is not challenged by your dreams, right? Like I think about that. God is never in heaven and you're like, you pray for something and it gets, it catches God off guard. It's never like God hears your prayer and he's like, Jesus, we got a problem. I don't think we could do this one. This one is too big. That, that never happens. The Bible says that he literally defines himself as exceedingly, abundantly, above, and beyond. That means that when you have and you release your wildest dream, God is exceedingly, abundantly, above, and beyond. That God has a plan for you to get to your place, and not just to your place, but beyond the place of your wildest dreams. How many of you know when you're in your place of your wildest dreams, at that point, God is going to have more for you to live in your wildest dreams. And then when you get to the wildest dreams and your place of your wildest dreams, God is going to have the wildest dreams from that place. God is not limited by our city. He isn't limited, limited by your bank account. He isn't limited by your age or your gender. He isn't limited by our race. God is limited by nothing. And the blessing, that is, the, that is, I just, when I step into this thing called the blessing, this is what my life begins to look like. All right, um, let's go to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Uh, I'm just going to spend a couple of seconds here because I, 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 I more so want to talk about the attitude of the scripture rather than something specific that is being said in here. So I'm going to read this from the New International Version. It says this, and it's a funny verse. It says this, As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? For my tears have been my food day and night. My tears have been my food day and night. How many of you have ever been in a season where it feels like you're mourning. You just can't mourn any longer. You can't fight any longer. You can't continue to go down this road any longer. This is where we find David at this point. He says that my tears, my sorrow, my pain has been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? I these things I remember as I pour out my soul how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throngs. How many of you can see there's an attitude that David is approaching as he's writing the psalm? There is an anguish, there is a, there is a pain, there is a, he knows that there is more to life. He sees that there is something that's beyond and he's frustrated, he's in pain because he feels as though he's stuck living in a place that he knows he was never destined to be. How many of you can relate with David? But then in verse 5 is where I want to focus for a little bit today. He asks the question of himself. He says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, and my God, Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you that you have given us your word. You've given us your anointing. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us your presence and your power. You've given us everything that we would need 
in order to be and accomplish everything that you would ask us to do. So today, Lord, as we set out for the blessing, we thank you that you're with us in Jesus' name. How many of you could tell that there's something that happens to David in verse 5? There is a fight that begins to arise on the inside of him. There is a frustration at his frustration. There is an anger at his anger. There is a change of attitude. There is a remembrance. There is a posture. There is a intensity that he rises in this moment. Because I've realized something. I've realized that when we talk about the blessing, it is going to require us to fight. It is. You know, there's like a saying, if there's anything that's, you know, if something is worth getting, it shouldn't be easy. If it's easy, it's not worth it. If it's, and I think that sometimes when we think about the blessing, sometimes when we think about what God would have us to do, we can think that it's going to be easy. And I think truthfully, this is sometimes where the frustration sets in, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but when I got saved, I got saved because God promised me that he was going to make my life good, right? Isn't that what he did? Isn't that what he does? Isn't that what the scripture is full of? I mean, God, I got saved. I invited Jesus into my heart, and now my life is supposed to be good. I'm supposed to have all the money and all the health, and everything in my life is supposed to go good all the time. But the problem was, when I got saved, it didn't happen. And I found myself, my attitude and my posture was a lot like David at the beginning of this book of chapter 42 of the book of Psalms. I was frustrated. My tears, my anguish, my frustration, it was what I lived on. But I realized, I realized that if I'm going to change it's because I'm going to fight for that change. Now, the beautiful thing about it is, is that the fights that we fight with God, we're guaranteed to win. Isn't it true? The Bible says it like this in Galatians, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. And so I understand that there is no ifs, there is no maybes. I understand that when I sow a seed, God is guaranteeing me that of that seed, I will be able to reap a harvest. And so I know that I'm not fighting alone, but nonetheless, I'm still fighting. And I think this is what we see in David's attitude is he begins to question himself is why is he thinking about his life so small? Why is he thinking about his life with what's wrong rather than what's right? Why is he thinking about who is against him rather than who is for him? Because I think that that could sometimes be our natural propensity, isn't it? That when I wake up, I don't wake up thanking God that there's breath in my lungs. I wake up wondering why my wife still hasn't brought me my cup of coffee. Right? Like, I prayed for a kid. Lord, I'm thanking you, Lord. She's perfect in every way, and oh gosh, she's going to be so great. And then when I get her, and I have to wake up at 2.30 in the morning, I'm angry. (laughs) Why? Because just because we live in the blessing, just because I promised change, doesn't mean that I am guaranteed victory, doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Why? Because anything that's worth having is worth fighting for. Right? Is it? Isn't that true? And I think this is when we read in Psalms 42, this is what David understands. He understood that there was something on the inside of him. There was something on the inside. There's something on the inside of you. There is a fight. There is a power. There is an anointing. There is a Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you that's capable of bringing all the change that's necessary to get you from where you are to where you want to be. 
And so as I understand this, first of all, I have to realize that, like I said in the very beginning, the problem is not with the word. How many of you could say that's pretty unanimous? That at least I'm confident in this, that the word is the truth, right? If you aren't sure of that, uh, you should get sure. Because basically our whole thing is based on the infallibility of the word of God, right? I mean, not the opinions, not the, I just watched, uh, what was the, the movie with Tom Hanks, The Da Vinci Code, okay? That it's not that there's alternate, the Bible is not set out to trick you, it's not set out to pull the wool over your eyes. The word of God is infallible. It is literally Jesus Christ himself in word form. That when I read the word, the pages on the word, I could take that thing to the bank. It is everything I need, all I need, all the time, in every situation. The word of God has every answer to every problem, every day for the rest of my life. So I'm convinced that the word is not the problem. It's not even that I can't find a scripture that would solve my problem, right? Because, I mean, there's like scriptures like, beloved, I'm with you always and all that I have is yours, right? I mean, like, if that was the whole Bible, we'd be like, oh, I guess, you know, solves all my problems. I need peace. Oh, it's in there. I need money. Oh, it's in there. I need a wife. Oh, it's in there. And that's just one scripture and a book full of promises. It's my understanding that the problem is not with the word. It's not the word. It's not Jesus. It's not that the Holy Spirit, you know, doesn't have enough power to solve your problems. It's none of those things. So I realized that there is an environment that I create. I realize there is, an, there, is a, 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 there is a condition that I condition. There is a soil that I cultivate. Because how many of you know a farmer can have an amazing seed, like the best of the best, but if his soil is full of clay and it's dry and it doesn't get enough water or sunlight, how many of you know you could have the perfect seed but if the conditions for growth aren't right, that seed is going to fall to the ground and it's going to die. And so I realized that the problem is not the seed. I have to cultivate the soil of my heart so that the conditions are correct to get my miracle. Okay. So let's talk about two things really quick to understand what contaminates our soil. Because that's the key. I have to understand what are the things and how do I recognize them? Because if I can recognize a contaminant, right? Like, for example, a farmer knows not to pour gasoline on his corn seeds, right? How many of you know the farmer is thankful that he understands that gasoline is different than water? And so because he knows that gasoline is different than water, he knows when somebody brings him a jug of gasoline and says, here you go, here's the miracle cure for your crops, he knows, oh, I know that can't go on the soil because that's going to kill the soil rather than correct it. So what is the gasoline to my soil? What, is the, 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 what are the contaminants? To my heart, the first thing that I want to talk about this morning that will contaminate our faith environment is fear. Fear. Now, when I talk about fear, I realize something. In the book of Joshua, when God comes to Joshua, he gives him a whole bunch of instructions. But one of the instructions that God gives to Joshua, and he says to Joshua, Joshua, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, I realized something. There's a difference between feeling afraid and being afraid. L let me give you an example. 
so in my parents' house when we were growing up, there is a, they have a stairways that's going downstairs, okay? And I'm sure this is the same for everybody if your parents had a basement. Um, and for some reason, uh, whenever you are coming from downstairs to upstairs, there's a light switch at the top and a light switch at the bottom. And so if you turn the switch off at the bottom of the stairs, obviously it goes dark. And for some reason, you know that when you turn the lights out, the monsters come out, right? You know what I'm saying? That when you, the light turns out and you're getting ready to go upstairs, you could always tell when I was coming upstairs because you'd hear the light click off and you'd hear me like bolt up the stairs as fast as possible, right? Now I would trip on the way up always without fail because my feet couldn't move as fast as my fear. Now I realized in that scenario something. There's a difference between feeling afraid and being afraid. Why? Because I can remember my dad would challenge us. He would say, when you turn the light out, decide in that moment to walk up the stairs slowly. Right? And so at first it would go like this. You'd be like, you turn the light out, and you get tough. Right? And it's a guy thing. And you'd be like, I'm bigger than the monsters right? Even though there obviously are no monsters. And you'd like take one step up and you like check behind you, right? You take two steps up and then the fear would just get so intense that you'd like run up the stairs, right? But you know, I, 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 I saw something happen. It was at first I could take one step and then run and then two steps and then run and then three steps. and then, But you know, nothing changed. It wasn't that my courage like, rid off the monsters, right? Like, you, you understand there's no monsters, right? But there's a difference between feeling afraid. How many of you know the way that I react to my fear, it does something? Because I think that sometimes we can get messed up in this understanding because we can misinterpret the fact that I feel afraid right now and think that there's something on the inside of me that's wrong and that I am afraid. But I've, I've realized something that still to this day, when I walk up those stairs, there's that moment when I can, I start like feel a little bit afraid, right? But now I, because I understand that I don't have to be afraid, it's easy for me to push that thing off. I mean, we see it all the time in people's lives that are around us, in the news, in the media, people are always telling us what to be afraid of. The stock market's gonna crash, and the housing market is gonna crash, and there's this new problem, and there's this new disease, and there's that new disease, and oh, the power bill, they're charging more for electricity, oh, and the taxes are going up, oh, and the this, and there's always things but I don't have to be afraid. And so as I cultivate the soil of my heart, the very first thing that I have to be aware of is that I have to, do, I have to fight against the fear that tries to rise up on the inside of my heart. I tell you, the Lord said this to me years ago, there's, you, there's never a good day to have a bad day. There's never going to be a good day for you to have a fearful day. There's never going to be a good day for you to allow yourself to think about fearful things. There's never going to be a good day for you to have a bad day. Why? Because faith contaminates the soil that faith grows in. Did I say faith? Fear. Sorry. And so I have to recognize in my heart what are the things that I'm afraid of? The second thing is this. The second thing is that would want to try to damage my soil is discontentment. Philippians 4.10 says it like this. I have learned, this is Paul. So this is not some guy who lived a cushy life. This was Paul who had all the problems in the world. Literally like if something could go wrong, it went wrong for this guy. And he says this, Philippians 4.10, I have learned in whatever state to be content. 
You know what this looks like? I say this all the time. I love my life. Just say that. Just say, I love my life. Just say that again. Say with a little like, man, I love, I love my life. Like sometimes when my daughter wakes up at 3.30 in the morning and she's crying and screaming and I literally have paced my house a thousand times, I have to say to her, I love you. <laughs> Oh, I love that you're not sleeping right now. I love this. Why? Because contentment is a decision. You know, there's always going to be something that's wrong with your life. Your life can never be so good that it is without issues or problems. That every place you go to, I realize this with the Israelites, right? that you think that they went from Egypt and all oh, the hardship of Egypt and then they get into the wilderness where they got to eat the same meal every single day and then finally, yes, we're going into the promised land and they're met with giants and walled cities and problems. Why? Because there's never going to be a day where everything is great. I choose to be Content. You know, I realize this. I realize this. I don't rejoice because I'm happy. You know, sometimes this is where we can get confused. Is we could think that rejoicing is a response to my life being so good. But this is what you said this morning, that I release a sacrifice of praise. How many of you know when life is good, it's not a sacrifice to rejoice? Right? Like when your team scores a goal, you don't have to like muster up the strength and the willpower to cheer at the fact that they scored a goal. But you see, that's sometimes what we thought. We thought that rejoicing is a response to my life being good. But I realized I don't rejoice when my life is good. I rejoice so that my life is good. And this is sometimes where we can go wrong, is we could think that the right response to a problem is to complain. But I tell you, complaining is never going to get you out of your problems. I I say this all the time, but have you ever had a pity party that was so good that you pitied yourself out of your problems? Have you ever complained your way out of your issues? I don't rejoice because my life is good. I rejoice so that my life is good. I don't rejoice because I'm happy. I don't rejoice because I can pay all my bills. I rejoice because I serve a God who can pay. I don't rejoice because everything in my life is going good. I rejoice because I serve a God who is good. I don't rejoice because everything in my life is going right. I rejoice because I have the word of God that can change any of my situations. I'm not waiting for my life to turn around in order to be excited about what God is doing in my life. Why? Because discontentment wants to destroy my soil. It does. It wants to keep me focused on what's wrong with today rather than believing in the good things that God has for me tomorrow. Why? Because faith is not moved by today. So in my closing, what do we have to do? What do we do? If these are the contaminants, if these are the things that I allow into my heart and they contaminate my soil, what are the things that I do in order to cultivate good soil. Okay, because that's what we are. We're farmers. We are farming the seed of the word of God. And it's only when we can create an environment for the seed to grow and we cultivate it all the way through to the end like a farmer do we get to eat the good of the blessing. Okay, you were destined to win. You were destined to succeed The word of God is enough. The Holy Spirit is enough. What you are is enough. Who God made you is enough. Now, 
What gets me to my blessing is that I don't quit on my journey to getting the promise. So what do I do? Number one, I have to refuse the fear. Now, fear is pretty much always going to come in the form of a thought. Always. It's going to come in the form of a thought. It's going to come in, you get a bill in the mail, and you think, this is it. You get a negative report from the doctor, and you think, whoop, this is it. You, you get into a fight with your husband or your wife, and you're like, whoop, this is it. Right? It's always going to come in the form of a thought. And so I have to understand, how do I respond to that thought? It's like when I was younger, it was so stupid of me, I was so afraid, like all the time, so afraid of everything. But I used to love watching scary movies. Right? I know. I look like a glutton for punishment. It was so bad. And, you, you know, I was probably also dumb back then, too. Um, but I was trying to get over this fear, and I was, like, so bothered. And I was like, Lord, I need you to help me. And he's like, stop watching scary movies. And I'm like, that's not going to do it. Lord, you need to help me with something. And so he told me to start using a strategy where I would remind myself that the characters in this movie also played other, mov- other characters in other movies right? And so like you'd have this character, right, who plays in this movie, and they're like so terrifying, and you're like, oh wait, they were Prince Charming in Cinderella too, right? And I'd be like, oh, he's not scary, he's Prince Charming. And honestly, it would do, why? Because I had to learn a way in order to fight the thoughts of fear that were trying to take over my life. We all have to learn our ways of what am I going to do? How am I going to fight the thoughts that are in the inside of me? Because those thoughts are trying to come in and contaminate the soil that my faith needs to grow in so that I could get out of this place that I'm at. So when something happens, we need to grab our mind. The Bible says it like this, that we are to take every thought captive and bring it into subjection of the word of God. That means when you have a thought, the doctor comes and they say, this is the negative report, and you feel afraid, what the Bible says is I need to grab hold of that thought, and I need to bring it into subjection, or, or, or I have to make it subject to, or it's like I lift it up, and I lift up the word, and I make a comparison of the two of them. And I say, this is what the doctor said, and this is what the word says. Do they look the same? If they do, amazing. If they don't, those are the thoughts that I have to do battle against. Because those thoughts want to create a condition of my heart. That fear wants to try to get in and discourage me from believing that what God said I can have, I can actually have. Now, this is an active thing that we do. Science says, I apologize, this is science. Science says we think between 30 and 50,000 thoughts every single day. Now, it's a full-time job. (laughs) But how many of you know that if a farmer is going to grow a good crop, a farmer has to always be aware of the conditions of his soil. He has to be aware of when was the last time it rained? How long has it been gloomy out? How long has the sun been scorching down? How long has the rain not stopped raining? Why, because all of these things matter when you're trying to create a condition. But it's not about here. It's not just about in worship, right? When it's like, oh God, right? Because for some reason when we're in worship, we want to give God everything. And he seems so much bigger than our problems when we're talking to him in worship. But I tell you something, it's when we go home that we have to observe the condition of what's going on in our brains. It's tomorrow morning when you open the bill. It's the tonight when my kid wakes up at 2.30 in the morning. Why? Because it doesn't matter if it's 2.30, 3.30, 8.30. Every moment I'm creating a condition, yeah. I'm either getting my soil more pure to grow 
or more contaminated to destroy. And, and like, it's, it's not that the contamination has any power. So it's not like we have to be afraid of the contamination. But it's understanding that God gave us this amazing ability that we have the right to determine what grows in our heart. The second thing is this, really simple. I have to stay away from things that make me feel negative. Yeah, yeah can, we get, can we get a, like, deep revelation, right? Like, wow, like, blow my mind, like, but it's true. You know that since social media, this is not an attack on social media, that since social media started, the amount of teenage depression and suicide has increased exponentially. It's true. I, uh, I don't care how good those pictures are. I don't care how much of a habit you are of scrolling through Instagram. If it doesn't make you feel good, it's probably not a good idea. Why? Because I'm not going to get to my place of promise by hating where I am. And sometimes that's what can happen. Like, I can remember this. It was a long time ago, so don't judge me. When I was like 20, probably, I was watching Gossip Girl. Everybody familiar with Gossip Girl? You know? Okay, I used to watch Gossip Girl. I was a Gossip Girl myself. Um, so really, that's probably why I watched it. <clears throat> but I can remember I was watching Gossip Girl, and it was like I progressively was hating my life. And people around me were like, what is wrong with you? Like, what is going on? Like, you're so dis, like, you're like angry all the time and you're oh, all these different things. And it was like, I don't actually know. And then I realized it was Gossip Girl. <laughs> Gossip Girl was literally destroying my life. Why? Because it was showing me this life that because I'm a child of the king, on the inside of me, I know that I'm supposed to live, but I've become discontent with where I am, and I've looked at where I think that I'm supposed to be, and it's created an atmosphere of discontentment in my heart. So I gotta what? I gotta stay away from things that make me feel negative. You know, now I have that. I know there are certain movies there are certain things, there are certain places that I just can't watch. I just can't go to those places because I know before I go into them, I know exactly how I'm going to respond. I'm going to watch a movie about this young guy who's still in his 20s and he's a millionaire and it's going to make me feel like a total failure because I'm 33 and I'm not a millionaire yet. I already know what's going to happen. The problem is, is that for so many years, I still watch the movies. And then I was angry and I hated my life and I spiraled down into a depression. <laughs> Gossip girl, right? I, but why, what, but what, what do I realize? That's creating a condition of my heart. That's creating a soil. And so if there's pictures I'm looking at, if there's things, if I'm looking at a house or a boat or a car or a thing or Instagram or it's Facebook or it's YouTube, why? It's not idle. It feels idle. It does. It feels like, oh, it's no big deal. I'm just scrolling. It feels like, oh, it's no big deal. It's just a movie. I know it's not real. It's just a movie. You, you don't. You're creating a soil of discontentment. I am creating a soil of discontentment. And what is happening is it's convincing me of how horrible my life is, which is convincing me about how horrible my God is. If he would allow me to live in this state... And listen, this is, I mean, this is no condemnation. This is like simple things that we can do that will radically transform. I can't tell you the first time I came off of Instagram. Like what happened to me when I stopped looking at Instagram? It was like I had a, a total life transformation. <laughs> it was like all of a sudden I wasn't materialistic and I wasn't angry or frustrated. I wasn't sad or depressed anymore. I really didn't care about how my clothes looked. I really didn't care about the car that I drove. Why, because those things don't matter. But what happens is, is because we allow things to, to, to talk to us, we allow things to enter into our soil, they begin to change who we are. 
and now I want to go after the things of this world rather than going after God when I could never get to my place of promise by trying to accomplish it on my own. The only way that I could get to my promise is by believing in God. I got to be aware of things that make me feel negative. And the last thing, I apologize, I'm a little late. Last thing, I have to release joy. I got to release thanksgiving. It's true. I got to release it. Thanksgiving creates an environment for faith to grow. But what? I have to, you have to put it on. You have, to, you have to put it on. It's like this. It would be like, uh, let's say you're cold. You're cold. And you're like, you're complaining to me because like, oh man, Alex, it's so cold. It is so cold in here. And I'm like, put a coat on. And you're like, I'm not going to put a coat on. I'm freezing. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 put a coat on and it'll make you warm. I'm not going to put a coat on until I feel warm. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, you don't understand. Like you put a coat on so that you can feel warm. Well, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. And this is just the way that I feel. I feel cold. And so since I feel cold, I'm not going to put a coat on. What could a coat possibly do in order to make me feel warm when I feel so cold? But that's sometimes what we could do. It could be like, you notice that, that when you're feeling bummed out, the hardest thing to do is to talk about all the good things that are happening in your life. Right, like you're like feeling, you're complaining about your life and everything is so sad. And somebody asks you, you know, like, so tell me what's going good. And you're like, nothing. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean, nothing? Like, there's no way that everything is wrong in your life. Why? Because it takes work to be thankful for what God has already done. And let me tell you something. It creates an environment. Why? It was like David, right? When David went after Goliath, what does the Bible say that David did? It says that he remembered the lion and the bear. You remember the lion and the bear. Why? The lion and the bear wasn't the same as Goliath, wasn't the same species, wasn't the same problem, wasn't the same time. He didn't even defeat them the same way. What did it do? It created an environment where he remembered. He remembered. He remembered what God did then. Because that's the thing, right? We've all experienced a miracle. We have. I mean, big or small, we have all experienced a miracle. Now, the thing is that happens is, is that in our life, what tries to happen is we try to, or our thoughts try to, or our past failure tries to make us feel as though you haven't had any miracles, and there's nothing that could possibly happen at this point that could make your life any better. Right? That's why the Bible says, I put on the garment of praise. And what is it? For the spirit of heaviness. So it's a decision. It's a decision that I make. It's a decision. When my kid wakes up at 2.30 in the morning, I feel, I literally feel heavy. Like my body feels heavy because I'm so tired. I have to choose to put on a garment of praise. I, when the bill comes in the mail and it's bigger, when the thought pops in, when the fight happens, when the report happens, when the kid does the thing, when the thing does the thing, when the coworker says the thing, when the boss does the thing, I have to choose. I choose. Come on now. I choose to put on the garment of, why? Because praise is the thing that's going to change my situation. It is thanksgiving is the thing. When I remember what God did before, it's not a stretch for me to remember what he's going to do now. When I remember the miracle that God did before, it's not hard for me to think about the miracle that God is going to do for me now. Right? If God would do it then. I mean, the problem that I had before was bigger. Yeah. 
clearly God could do it now. I mean, it was impossible then. It was hard then. It was bad then. It was challenging then. It's no different than now. I put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Because I've learned one thing. God is bigger. God is bigger. God is bigger than your bills. Come on, let's close your eyes. Let, I, I want you to receive this. God is bigger than your bills. He is bigger than the doctor's report. He is bigger than those divorce papers. He is bigger than your mortgage. He is bigger than your anxiety. He is bigger than your fear. God is bigger. He's bigger. He's bigger than your mountain. He's bigger than your valley. He's bigger than the dryness. He's bigger than how you feel. He's bigger than how it seems. He's bigger than what they say. He's bigger than what they told you. God is, he literally is bigger. He's bigger. God is bigger. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, this is our expectation. It's easy to create an environment of faith. It's easy to create an environment of transformation because you are bigger. You're bigger. You're bigger than what they've said. You're bigger than what they told me. You're bigger than the impossible. Lord, you're bigger. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name.